So today we are um, going to conclude a series which we started back in January. Uh, perhaps one of our longer series in one sense. And you may be thinking, really, what, we've been in one series the whole of this year? And the answer to that is no, we, we haven't. We've been going in and out and in and out. And this is the third time we've been looking at uh, characters. Characters in the Bible which communicate something of the type of church, the type of people, because the church is people, not a building, not a meeting. We are the church, the type of church we want to be. Characters which would reflect something of a culture which we are looking to build and grow in as a church. And we've been using four words to describe that sort of character as we've considered different people's stories and journeys, both from the Old Testament, New Testament, And uh, today I get to wrap up the whole series effectively. And uh, those four words, I I hope many of us will be able to recite them. They're words such as genuine. That's being really real. We want to be a people who are really real. That when you meet somebody from Harvest Church, what you meet is who they really are. No airs and graces, but just people who have met Jesus and been transformed in God's presence. The second one was thankful. We want to be people who celebrate, who've got an attitude of gratitude, who celebrate the goodness of God. You know, thankfulness leads to contentment. Who are content in God. We are people content in God, not always pursuing the next thing in in that ruthless pursuit of material gain and all that sort of stuff. But we're genuinely thankful for all that God gives us in every circumstance giving thanks, not just materially, but in every circumstance, even at moments of hardship and trial, still trusting God and expressing that trust in God through being thankful. The third one is generous. Well, we're just, (laughs) what a great example of being generous, being able to announce our gift week offering this morning. Fantastic. But actually being generous is far more than just financially being generous. It's about seeing the best in one another, in people. It's about seeking the best for one another, for each other, for people we meet, that we're actually looking to bring God's blessing to them, knowing that as God blesses us, he blesses us so we can bless others. And it's sharing of our best. Yes, that includes financial, but it includes our time, our energy, our focus, so much more. And then the fourth part is uh, being courageous, being a people who, are, uh, who live uh, out our Christianity without fear. Recognizing that fear can always assail us, always try to attack us. The temptation to fear will always be there. And yet not succumbing to that temptation to fear and choosing instead to uh, express uh, the goodness and grace and mercy of God to all those around us. So today I'm... I I get to wrap up effectively what's been a preaching series, which has been 15 weeks over this spread, spread over 15 weeks over this year. And you think, well, how do you wrap that up? How do you draw all those threads together? And you know what? I'm going to do something completely different. It's not what was on the plan. But over the last few weeks, I felt God just really speaking to myself and hearing similar things through other people. And so today we're going to look at a subject which in one sense is totally unrelated 
And yet, in another sense, I believe it's fundamental if we really want to change, if we want to engage with this sort of change in, in becoming a people like this, that actually this issue needs to be dealt with. A bit like as we did some months ago when we talked about fear and how fear can hold us back from being a people who, are, 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 who have this sort of culture, who express being genuine, thankful, generous and courageous. Another area which can stop us on our journey is this, it's unforgiveness. I just want that word to sink in for a moment. Unforgiveness. Now many of us in this room at this point will be reacting already and going, how dare you? It won't be on your face. You won't be speaking it out yet. If I gave consent though, maybe you would. How dare you judge me and tell me I've not forgiven someone? And I just want to encourage us. Let's get hold of what's going on in our spirit, even when we talk about unforgiveness. And just pause for a moment and think, hmm, Lord, is that you? Have you got something you want to say to me about this? Because it's very, very easy to think we're okay. Lord, the one you need to speak to is the one sitting to the left of me or the right of me or my spouse or my kids or my parents or those people who live down the road who do dot, 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 dot. And so as we start this morning, I want to invite you to pray a dangerous prayer. I want to encourage you. It's a great prayer, though. And it's something along the lines of this. Speak, Lord, for your servants listening. Okay? It's an invitation to say, God, would you speak into my heart? Would you speak into my life? I'm your servant, and I want to hear. And so I'm going to pray that, and I'd like to encourage you to pray that, too. It's dangerous because, of course, if God speaks, then you really have got to do something about it, haven't you? That's why it's dangerous. But do you know what? It's also incredibly liberating. So, Father, we want to ask, would you come and speak with us? We want to say we are all wanting to just focus now on what you have to say. So speak, Lord. We're here. We want to listen. Show us, Lord. Show us if there's things we need to address. Teach us, Lord. Equip us to help others also. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be a people who are so characterized by a forgiving attitude. Because we know... First and foremost, you have forgiven us so much. So capture our hearts as you've already been doing this morning with your forgiveness of us. And teach us what it means to forgive others. In Jesus' most precious name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Today we are going to look at two passages in the Bible. Uh, If you have your Bible with you, I'd like to ask you to turn to the book of Matthew. Both passages are in Matthew. We're going to read one, and then I'll speak for a bit, and then we'll have the second one read to us. This passage um, 
is, uh, that we're going to read from in Matthew chapter 9, uh, beginning of chapter 9. Uh, it's a passage which has a lot of meaning for us as a church because actually I've, I preached on it just over two years ago on the first Sunday when I started leading the team, formerly on staff leading the team here. But also it's because it links in with a prophetic picture somebody gave us. And uh, many of us have these on our fridge, these fridge magnets. Uh, some of us, maybe they've fallen down the back of the fridge by now and you need to rescue it and pull it out again and dust it down. It was a prophetic picture based on this story. And in fact, the, 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 the actual picture hangs in my office. Uh, they're available on the table. If you've not got one of these, if you just want a decent fridge magnet, you're very welcome to grab one off the information table at the end of here. The picture is of... Um, Uh, It says this, Alton, by faith you are called to make holes in ceilings, bringing broken men to the feet of Jesus. That is what God is calling us to do. To be, uh, it says across the top, the time to take action is now. To be purposeful, inventive, unconventional, radical, and audacious. And that's what this story is all about. Let's read it and hopefully you'll understand why. Jesus, um, sorry, starting in the wrong place here. Okay, yes, Matthew chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. Now, in other accounts of this, which you can find in Mark and in Luke, you'll find actually that, 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 that one line about they brought a paralytic is, is developed much, much more. Because actually they couldn't get the paralytic to Jesus. And so what they had to do is they went up onto the roof of the house Jesus was meeting in and they pushed the roof aside and made a hole in the roof and lower this paralytic man, this man who's paralysed, down on his mat into the middle of this meeting Jesus is doing. You can imagine the plaster dust dropping and all the rest of it. Lowered in down. What a statement of faith. When Jesus saw their faith... He said to the paralytic, take heart, son, take heart, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow, Jesus, he's blaspheming. Outrageous, you shouldn't shouldn't be talking like that. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe. And they praised God, who had given such authority to men. It's a powerful story. I mean, can you imagine it? You're sitting there, you've got Jesus talking. Somebody makes a hole in the roof of the room you're in. A man gets lowered down on a mat. Wow, okay, that's fairly fairly significant already. And then Jesus does battle with the pillars, the, the authorities of the day, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees. They were the rulers. They were the bosses, the church bosses, the synagogue rulers. They had enormous influence. And they basically say to Jesus, hey, you're out of order. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Hold on. You're out of order. You need to understand who you're dealing with here. You need to understand you're dealing with the Son of God who has all power and authority to deal with sin. 
And then he demonstrates that because this man who's been paralysed, we don't know how long for, suddenly gets up. He gets up knowing his sin has been forgiven and in that instant he has been healed. What a powerful moment. (laughs) When it says at the end of that passage, they're all filled with awe, I'm thinking, yeah, understatement. I mean... Some would be going, yes, he's got one over on the Pharisees. About time too. They stitch us up and they they make us feel squashed and no good and useless. Others would be going, I've just seen a paralytic walk. Others would be going, not only have I seen a paralytic walk, I've just found out that my sin problem can be dealt with. That I can be forgiven. And there'll be that penny-dropping moment for some in the room. Oh, goodness. We really are dealing with God here. Probably why the story's recorded in different ways in three of the four Gospels. It's a really significant moment. And so for us, this was brought as a prophetic word for us as a church for the journey we're on. Saying, hey, come on, let's be the sort of church that bring people to the feet of Jesus. Who are radical, audacious. Who bring paralytics to the feet of Jesus. A powerful challenge for us. We need to think about that. We've preached on it in the past. I've preached on it in the past. Today I feel there's a different perspective God wants to give us on this story. And it's all around this thing of sins being forgiven. And actually how we can get paralyzed in our lives. Not physically, but we can get paralyzed. Parts of our lives can get shut down because of things we've done. Or even perhaps more so because of things others have done to us. And you may say, well, what do you mean by paralyzed? How would you define paralyzed? Well, uh, uh, trying to be a, a, not a child of the 60s in which I was born, but a child of a more modern society, I thought, well, the best thing to do is go on YouTube. And uh, I, I typed in description of people who have been paralyzed, what it feels like to be paralyzed. And if you ever do that, you'll find there are the most incredibly moving videos. People describing what it feels like to have been paralyzed. And one I watched said this. They described paralysis in this language. They said, knowing in theory I can do something, even wanting to, But finding, for whatever reason, I can't. That sense of, I know I have even history which says I should be able to do this with my body. And really wanting my body to do this movement. And willing it. And doing exactly what I would have done before I was paralysed. And yet... Nothing happens. 
And that must just be the most phenomenally difficult, challenging thing for each and every person who's paralyzed. And you know, even as I was watching it, I just felt such a sense of, wow, help us, Lord, to express your love to people whose lives have been ruined by circumstances. But the reality I believe in God is this. That many of us in this room have actually been paralyzed. Paralyzed through the circumstances we've had of life. Not necessarily physically paralyzed, but maybe emotionally. In our behavior. Being able to respond to situations. Maybe because we've been hurt. Not necessarily physically hurt. Maybe because we've been let down. And paralysis can have all sorts of different roots in our lives. Could be a root of fear. We've done a whole series on fear earlier this year. Maybe it's though because of a memory. Because of our history. Something which happened in our lives. Something done to us. Or said about us. Perhaps an experience which was intensely embarrassing. Where you think, I'm never going to do that again. I can't take that risk because they embarrassed me in front of a whole crowd of people. How can I take that risk again? Maybe it's an association with a situation where we felt let down. Or where we've been hurt. Hurt emotionally or even hurt physically. Maybe it's where we've been bullied at school. That's part of my story. Consistently bullied at school for many years as a teenager. Feeling like I was just useless. Feeling I was unwanted. Intense sense of insecurity which comes with that. Of pain. Of not feeling loved. Dreading every day at school. Dreading the names. Dreading what happened physically. That's part of my story. I wonder what your story looks like. Maybe it's because you feel your trust was broken. That somebody took hold of your trust. Somebody that you loved and you gave them your trust. And trust is such a fragile thing. It's like a beautiful Ming vase. Something highly, highly precious. Something we prize. And it feels like that person took hold of that precious vase. That fragile vase. And then just casually threw it to the ground. And even laughed as they smashed your trust. Maybe it's because we don't think we can trust God. Maybe you feel he let you down. He didn't do what you wanted him to do. You prayed and prayed and prayed and that person didn't live. Maybe because of that, we're holding out on him. Have we actually let God off the hook? How can we, how can we hold God on a hook? And yet actually many of us are doing just that. 
We're saying, well, we'll only go this far because, God, you didn't. And, of course, in that very statement, in that very challenge, we are denying the sovereignty of God. We're denying the very nature of God. If we can control God, then he is no longer God. And we need to understand that actually if we recognize him as Lord, then trust is, I will trust you with every aspect of my life. Even when it doesn't go according to my plan and my desires. Maybe it's something we can't even put a name on. But actually deep inside of us, we know we're just hurting and in pain. We're affected with sadness. We've been shaped by something. It means that we don't have that freedom, that liberty, which we really long for. Maybe it's even just because we don't believe we're good enough. We don't believe we're good enough. People have told us that time after time. Life experiences have said, "Hmm, you're just not good enough. That's a lie from the pit of hell. The reality is, actually, of course, none of us are good enough outside of God. But in Christ Jesus, everyone is. Absolutely anyone and everyone. I believe... God this morning would want to utter these words to us from Matthew chapter 9 verse 2. Regardless of our past, our history, our experiences, when he sees just a little bit of faith, he says to the paralytic, take heart son, your sins are forgiven. He may go, but hey, you've got it wrong, Andrew. These aren't my sins. This is what's been done to me. This is what's been done to me by others. God would want to say, it's time for you to forgive them, just as you've been forgiven. You see, actually, if we choose having received God's forgiveness, if we choose then to not forgive others, that in itself is a sin. What do you mean that's a sin? How can that be a sin? Somebody's hurt me. Somebody's done something to me. How can me not letting them off the hook be a sin? Well, let's now read. Steve, if you could come and read for us, please. From Matthew chapter 18. You may want to turn to it in your Bible so you can follow Steve. We're going to start at verse 21. Handheld too? Okay. Brilliant. Thank you. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. 
as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Steve. Let's just thank Steve. It's a bit challenging, isn't it? I have a story. Somebody owing an enormous sum of money. Let off. That's a picture of us before our Heavenly Father. Our sin, shame, our debt being absolutely massive. Totally unpayable. Could never be redeemed. And what a great story of grace. That God in his love comes in, heaven, uh, in bodily form as a man, Jesus. <laughs> Coming up to Christmas soon. Celebrate the birth of Jesus, the arrival of the king. The king who comes to die. The king who comes to sacrifice himself for what? For my sin. To put God's grace available to me, to you, to each one of us. God's lavish grace. That even though our debt is the equivalent of billions, it's unpayable. The Son of God comes and pays the price in full. That we can be forgiven. And then this story goes on and we, we see this other person who owes just a small amount. It's really almost a pittance. Well, and this unmerciful servant says, I'm, I'm not going to let him off. 
hold on, you've, you've just been let off billions. No, I'm not going to let him off. Why should I let him off? He owes me. Why should I let him off? And you know, we may all be sitting here thinking, oh, rotten old soul. And yet actually, if we really pause and think about it, too often that can be us. We don't like it. We don't like admitting it. But that is the truth. That we then sit in judgment on somebody else. We try and take the place of God, of judge. And hold somebody else to account. And we've been forgiven all this. And so Jesus finishes, or is recorded as finishing this. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. From the heart. This isn't just a mechanical exercise. This is from the heart. So it all starts with a heart understanding. Have I been forgiven? Do I really? Has that affected my heart? Has God's forgiveness got to my heart? Has it shaped my heart? That's the context. We've got to look at everything in. It starts with us understanding that our forgiveness is absolute. It's total. It's all-encompassing. It covers everything. It's totally sufficient for now, for the past, for the present, for the future. It's even... Acknowledging that if God forgives me, how can I not forgive others? How can I hold others to account? If, if God's going to forgive them, how can I set myself up as some sort of judge, as some sort of God who can judge others, even though God in his mercy would go, grace of God, they're forgiven. Can I say, for some of us, of course, it may not be others, it may be ourselves we need to forgive. That you can't forgive yourself for something you've done, for the way you've treated somebody else, for what you've thought, or what you've said, or what you've done. Logically, if God forgives you, then how can you not forgive, allow that forgiveness to define who you are? I know logically it doesn't always make sense, but just think it through. If God says you are forgiven, how can you say, I'm not? Again, you're setting yourself up as God. If you can say, I can't forgive myself, then you're saying God's forgiveness is not valid in my life. It's not relevant. It's not relevant. It's not sufficient. So, how do we do this? Because it's great to talk about it in theory. Well, I say it's great to talk about it in theory. The silence of the room suggests maybe it's not great to talk about it in theory. But how do we actually do this sort of stuff? Here's some five things which may help you. I guess, first of all, we have to start by recognising. Recognising what's happened. 
recognising the effect it's had on us, recognising how we feel or felt at that moment in time. And recognising what has happened takes time. You see, we can say, oh, that happened. I can talk about being bullied at school now without any sense of pain because it's been dealt with. But 25 years ago, when it wasn't dealt with, I could still talk about being bullied at school. And on the surface, that pain was so well buried, I could just talk about it in the same sort of way. But the reality was, actually, deep down, there was a, I hate that person. I'll never forgive Phil. Or whoever the person was. And the difference is, actually, we need to recognise what happened. We need to connect with the pain. Not just, you know, not just at a superficial level, but actually we need to go down to how it made us feel. What really happened. The effect it had on us. How we behaved off the back of it. That's when we start to then be able to forgive from the heart is when the heart is connected with what's happened. And that can take time. That can also take a really good friend to help us do that. This in turn, secondly, may lead us to realising that one of two things has happened. We've allowed a victim mentality to develop in ourselves that actually I'm, I'm just... I'm the victim. Can I just say, no matter what has been done to us, we are always responsible for how we respond and deal with it. We can't say, oh, it's because of them. The choices we make are our choices. Yes, sure, things may happen to us. How we deal with that, how we respond to that, that's our responsibility. And we may well need to find the grace of God for dealing with what we've done and how we've responded to what's happened to us. The other way in which we may respond, and I've sort of mentioned this already, is this, it's through developing an orphan spirit. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares for me, not even God. I'm never going to trust anyone ever again. And God wants to address that today. He wants to speak into hearts and lives today and say he's never, ever going to forsake us. The scriptures tell us that. And the reality is God will not forsake us. That doesn't mean, though, we won't go through trials and tribulations. It doesn't mean we won't go through hardships. It doesn't mean we won't suffer. All of those things happen. But that doesn't mean that God abandons us. The third thing is this. We have choices. We have to make choices. Forgiveness is ultimately, like repentance, a choice. Just as you come to know God's forgiveness through repentance, forgiving others is also a choice. It's a tough choice. Lord, help me to forgive is not forgiving someone. Can I just underline this? Too often we pray, Lord, help me to forgive, and then we don't actually ever get round to forgiving them. We think we have because we prayed, Lord, help me to forgive. But Lord, help me to forgive doesn't, isn't the same as, Lord, 
I choose to forgive. You may say, oh, well, that's semantics, isn't it? No, no. They're very, very different things. God will help you to forgive. God will give you grace to forgive. So praying, Lord, help me to forgive is a great first step, but it needs another step. It needs a follow-on step. It needs that choice in our hearts and lives. I choose to forgive. Forgiving involves choice. But it's not just I choose to forgive X. That's it. It's, Lord, I choose to forgive X for what they did. This is where it comes from the heart, where we engage with our hearts, where we say, for what they did, I choose to forgive Phil for how he bullied me, for how he taunted me, for the words he used to describe me, for what he did to me, and how it made me feel, which made me feel worthless. It made me feel unloved. It made me feel like I stuck out like a sore thumb. He used to taunt me about my ears, said I had big ears. You're welcome to say I've got big ears. It's not a problem to me any longer. Now you're looking at my ears. (laughs) Lord, I choose to forgive. I choose to forgive the person for what they did, for what they said, for what's happened, for how it made me feel, for the impact it had on my life. I choose to forgive. It's a choice. Does it make it any easier? No. It's hard. Why should I forgive them? They're the ones who did something wrong. Why should I have to forgive them? Can we go back to the unmerciful servant? This is why. This is why. Because it's biblical. Because our Father, who's a good Father in heaven, knows what's best for us. Because he's given us his scriptures, which speak to our hearts and lives, which we need to grab hold of, which need to shape us and mould us. Because he knows that actually if we're to journey with him and to have a whole, a wholesome journey, a full journey, the adventure he's got for us individually and corporately, we've got to leave this stuff behind. We need to learn how to forgive. We need to deal with unforgiveness. And then fifthly, can I just say this? Forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. It doesn't mean forgetting. But a byproduct of forgiving will be that we forget. I remember as a child, my mum would, you know, when my brother taunted me, or perhaps I taunted my brother even, I'd go, oh, forgive and forget. Hang on, I don't want to forget. He hurt me. But actually, if we genuinely forgive, If we genuinely forgive, if we really deal with the pain inside of our hearts and in our lives, then God will come and bring healing. And as he brings healing, we will start to forget. Not because we've persuaded ourselves to forget, no. But because our hearts, our heart attitude would have changed. I guess it's probably uh, the difference between a wound and a scar. Some of you will remember soon after uh, moving into our house, I had a slight incident with a hedge trimmer. I won't show you the scar on my leg, but there's a nice scar on my leg where I caught my leg with a hedge trimmer, which was very sharp, and uh, had a few stitches. Uh, I've got a scar there. The scar is okay. The scar is robust. 
It's fine. I can bash it. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't bleed when I bash it or anything else. If I still had a wound there, that would be a massive problem. Every time I knock it, it would bleed. It would be giving me pain. It would be weeping. Perhaps a good question to ask ourselves is, is that a wound? Is that a wound which is still damaged, still weeping because it's got dirt in it? Or is it a scar? Scars are okay. Scars, are, that's part of our backstory. It's part of our history in God. Wounds, they need healing. You don't want to have a wound a year after you've hurt yourself, do you? And yet some of us are walking around with wounds which are 10, 20, 30 years old. Friends, let's deal with the wounds today. The wounds of unforgiveness, the wounds of pain. Now at this point, I know we're running out of time, but I'd just ask you to stick with us for another five minutes. I'd like to ask somebody to come and share. They're going to share some, well, I'm not quite sure what they are going to say. But I know it will be very powerful and very personal. And so I would like you to welcome them and thank them for what they're going to share by applauding them as they come up. And so, Cathy, would you like to come, please, and share for us? Let's welcome you. Hello. <clears throat> um, many of you know that um, I had had a very difficult relationship with my dad. Um, uh, as a child growing up, my dad was very unpredictable. Um, and he had very extreme moods, and you never knew whether you would come home to the dad who was fun and happy and who played with you, or if you would come home to the dad who was withdrawn and irritable and verbally abusive. Um, he had a very hot temper, and he could be very frightening indeed. Uh, even in a good mood, he could turn in an instant if you said or did the wrong thing. This had a huge effect on me as a child and formed a part of my character as an adult. Being a parent myself and also seeing Peter being a, an exceptional father to our children brought home to me what I'd missed out on and made me realise why I reacted to some people and situations with fear of rejection. Um, when my mum was ill, and then she and then died my dad made some very unwise choices and decisions that compounded things and gradually our relationship as it was broke down i've often said that if i wasn't a christian i would have cut myself off completely from my dad and never spoken to him again um, but as a christian i knew that wouldn't be the right thing um, a couple of years ago uh, God really started to talk to me about this. Um, he started to point things out to me that I couldn't ignore. I started to remember things that I really didn't want to remember. And it felt a little bit like the tide was coming in and I couldn't hold it back anymore. I couldn't pretend that this hadn't happened. Um, I knew that I should have victory over these emotions and reactions that I was feeling, but I felt powerless, a bit like Andrew was saying earlier about being paralyzed. I knew what the right thing was. I knew what God 
would have me be and do, but I felt completely paralysed to do anything about it. Um, I knew that wasn't right. Um, I knew God wanted to do some work in me about the effects of my dad's behaviour on my emotional health. So at the beginning of the year, I began working through a lot of these effects with Andrew and Emma. The key to a lot of the healing that God did was forgiveness. I didn't really want to forgive my dad um, on one level because he didn't deserve it. And he might go on to hurt me again. And I knew um, that that was a possibility. But I also knew that I had to forgive him because God had forgiven me and also for my own sake, for my own health. Uh, the truth is, my dad hasn't changed, but I feel completely different about him. Um, I know only God has done that. I feel protected and resilient to my dad's personality. I can accept him for who he is and what he is able to give me rather than wishing that he was a better father. Forgiving him allowed Father God uh, to get in and heal many of those raw places and hurts. I'm not a specially nice person. I get offended and hurt just like everyone else. But forgiveness was a choice, and with God's help, anybody can do it. Fantastic. Well done, Kathy. Well done. I think we need to stop there. We've got some choices to make, friends. Each one of us. So I can see the emotional reaction on various people's faces. And uh, just to what Cathy shared there. And for many of us, actually, deep inside we're going, I wish I had that. I wish I had that for my situation. And Jesus is here. And he's bringing forgiveness. He's saying it's time. It's time to move on. It's time to lay these things behind us. Lay them down. To let go of them. Yes, there may be a risk of, as Cathy very eloquently said, of getting hurt again. That's not the issue. I can trust God with that issue. The issue is where do I stand before my loving Heavenly Father? Am I prepared to do as he instructs? Am I prepared to forgive? Am I prepared to let that person walk free? But in letting them walk free and not holding on to that unforgiveness any longer, actually you walk free. Can I ask everybody please, and I do mean everyone, to close your eyes. This is going to need a bit of bravery. And you may not be up for it, and that's fine. But if you know God's speaking to you about forgiving others, about letting go, I want to encourage you as a statement before God of intent to deal with this, to stand now. Well done. Well done. Well done. There'll be many. 
Well done. There'll be more yet. I'm going to pause for a moment. It's a holy moment before God. It's only before God. It's not before us. He's standing. Enormous bravery for each one of you. He's standing. Great courage. Well done. Well done. There'll be others who are thinking, I don't know whether I can do this. I'd like to urge you to, but if you can't, that's okay. You can stand in your heart before God, but getting on your feet is just a great demonstration of what's going on in you, of your desire for freedom. Okay, last opportunity. Anybody else want to join this dozen or more folk who are standing? Well done. Keep our eyes closed, please. I'd like to uh, uh, say just to each and every person who's standing, your Father is seeing this now. You need to know this brings such delight to your Heavenly Father. And he wants to now come and minister to you. He wants to give you courage and grace to take steps of faith on this. So, Father, I ask for each one of these Wonderful people standing. And for those who aren't able to at this point, Lord, would you bring courage and grace? And we know that comes by your Holy Spirit. We say, Holy Spirit of God, would you come and minister? Minister grace. Remind us how much we've been forgiven and help us to take steps of forgiveness. To deal with unforgiveness. Give us courage by your spirit, we ask. Help us, Lord God. Help us to be real with one another, to share our stories together that we could strengthen one another, to move forward, to leave the past behind. Come, Spirit of God. Help us, Lord, we ask. Help us, Father. We look to you because you're where our help comes from. There's no one else other than you who can help us. We look to you, Spirit of God, would you come and minister to us? Help us. Help us to walk free. We commit ourselves to you. We say, Lord, have your way. Have your way in in our lives. All the glory, all the honor goes to you. We make this part of our worship to you. We say this is part of our worship of our lives to you. We're going to forgive and we're going to move on for the glory and honor of your name. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Please take your seats. Please take your seats. We're going to uh, wrap things up at that point. If you would like someone to stand with you and pray with you now, great. Please come to the front. We will do just that. It may be you just need time to go away and process and think that one through. That's fine. Can I encourage you, please, though, to grab hold of somebody and to get somebody alongside you who can help you do just that.
So we're going to finish otherwise. So refreshments will be served out in the coffee shop. Please, could I encourage you, if you've got kids, go and get them as quickly as possible. And could you give a particularly big thank you to the team who have held on to them for an extra 10 minutes? That's wonderful. We look forward to catching up with you midweek and next weekend. Bless you.